Medusa. Her name, for many of us, conjures the image of a woman with snakes for hair, sometimes with the body of a snake as well, sometimes the body of a woman or some other monstrous form. But the mythical origins of Medusa are much darker and much more tragic. Now turn down the lights, turn up the volume, and join me, Autumn Rivas, in a darkly lit place while I tell you the Greek myths of Medusa and Perseus. Greece has always held a particular fascination for me, and I've dreamed of visiting since I was a child. I remember reading the stories of Greek mythology and hearing the tales of the oracle at Delphi and the iconic heroes, monsters, legends, the gods and goddesses in those Greek stories. In 2017, that dream came true, and I spent a week exploring Athens, Mycenae, Olympia, and Delphi. Walking through the ancient ruins of those once sacred temples was a mesmerizing experience. We were able to walk from our hotel to all the famed sites within Athens. We stayed at Athens Gate Hotel, which had a rooftop bar and restaurant with the most amazing views of the Acropolis, with the Parthenon all lit up in the nighttime sky. And on the other side, the remains of the Temple of Zeus, with ancient columns still standing in tranquil solitude. We hired a private driver and had booked a sunset trip out to the coast, where the Temple of Poseidon still overlooks the edge of the Aegean Sea. I will add a shameless and unsolicited plug to George's taxi. Our tour driver, Dimitri, was incredible. After meeting him for the trip out to Cape Sunio, where we watched the sunset, in the profile of Poseidon's temple. He picked us up the next morning for a three-day adventure and noticed our camera gear. I can't say enough good things about our experience. Dimitri took us so many more places than were listed in our booked tour agenda, and he made frequent stops to point out picturesque landscapes and let us take photographs. He filled our car ride across the countryside with stories of history and myth. It was absolutely amazing. For me, Greece is only second to Paris in my favorite places to have traveled so far. And if you ever get the chance, go explore and travel through this ancient and magical country. Before Medusa had been cursed and transformed to the fearsome and petrifying Gorgon we all know and love, she was one of the most beautiful women in Athens. It is said that her hair was shiny and flowing, rivaling in loveliness to Aphrodite herself, the goddess of love and beauty. While Medusa had no shortage of potential male suitors vying for her affection, she was a priestess of Athena goddess of war and wisdom. To be a priestess meant Medusa had sworn a sacred oath to the goddess to remain chaste and pure, retaining her status as a virgin. 
Large crowds would often gather in the temple of Athena Parthenos, what we know today as simply the Parthenon. They would come to worship the goddess, but also to gaze in awe at the beautiful priestess. The Parthenon stands on a high rocky hill known as the Acropolis. It is overlooking the entire city of Athens. It was once a marvelous and awe-inspiring marble building built to house an enormous statue of Athena, patron goddess of the city of Athens. The statue was built out of ivory and covered in gold. It stood 11 meters or 40 feet high. One evening, as Medusa was walking along the shore, Poseidon, god of the sea, took notice of Medusa and was immediately taken back by her radiant beauty. But Medusa rejected the god's pursuits, affirming her loyalty and strict devotion as the priestess of the Temple of Athena. Unfortunately for Medusa, Poseidon and Athena had long been at odds. Back before Athens was Athens, as the story goes, both Poseidon and Athena wanted to be patron deity of the city-state, so there was a competition held at the site of the Acropolis, where the citizens would vote based on which deity offered the most valuable gift. Poseidon struck the ground with his mighty triton, and a spring erupted, a grand display of his power over the seas and waterways. While Athena used her spear to spark the growth of an olive tree, a symbol of peace and fruitfulness for the land. The citizens chose Athena, and the city would bear her name and gain her protection as the patron goddess of Athens. Poseidon did not take losing well, and to appease the sea god, the Athenians built the temple of Poseidon on Cape Sunio to pay homage to the unforgiving god. Poseidon's rejected advances for the affections of Medusa only spurned the god more, and unfortunately for Medusa, she would find herself a pawn caught between the rivalry of two hostile and vengeful immortals. Poseidon's pursuit of Medusa would end with horrific consequences for the priestess. On one fateful night, Poseidon approached Medusa outside the temple of Athena and became increasingly aggressive. Medusa ran into the temple begging for Athena to appear and offer her protection from the god, but Medusa's cries would not be heard in time to save her chastity from being stolen by Poseidon. When Athena finally appeared, the damage was done and the goddess was furious that her temple had been desecrated by Poseidon's heinous act against Medusa. Because the gods and goddesses of ancient Greece could not take revenge against one another, Athena was powerless to inflict any punishment against Poseidon himself, so she took all her anger and revenge out on Medusa. She cursed her priestess, and transformed her from a once ravishingly beautiful woman to a hideous monster. Her beautiful locks were replaced by venomous snakes, 
Her face was contorted and deformed, made so repulsive that anyone who looked at her would be turned to stone. Medusa would be cast to a remote island to live out the remainder of her life in isolation. But as word of Medusa's curse started to spread, she became the obsession of men once again, only this time the prize was not for her affections, but for her head. Acrisius, king of Argos, was concerned that he didn't have a male heir, so he consulted the oracle at Delphi. The oracle told the king that while he would never have a son, his daughter, Danaea, would give birth to a baby boy. And in true fashion of Greek tragedies, the oracle continued with the prophecy and told the king he would eventually perish at the hands of his own grandson. The king was utterly tormented by the prophecy of the oracle, and upon his return to Argos, promptly had his daughter locked away in a tower. He thought if he could keep his daughter in isolation, he could negate the prophecy and save his own life. But prophecies from the oracle have an ironic way of somehow always coming true. Zeus, the king amongst the gods, heard the sorrowful, lonely cries of Danaea one night, and out of compassion, I guess you could say, the god paid her a visit, appearing in the form of golden rain. He was able to easily enter the locked room where she was held captive in the top of the large tower. Zeus would impregnate Danaea, and in a few months, she would give birth to a healthy baby boy. When King Acrisius learns of Danaea's pregnancy, he is infuriated, and while he can't bring himself to directly kill his own kin, soon after the child is born, he has both his daughter and grandson locked in a chest and thrown into the sea. Knowing that the probability of their survival was unlikely, he felt justified in his actions that there was still a slim chance they would be spared, so his conscience was clear. And by some miracle, they would be spared. Perhaps Zeus worked with Poseidon to assure safe passage along the water for his lover and son. In any case, the chest would wash up on the shore of the small island of Seraphos and was found by a local fisherman named Dictys. The fisherman was also the brother of the king of Seraphos, Polydectes. Perseus and Danaea were taken in by Dictys, and the fisherman raised Perseus as his own. He taught him his craft, and the small family enjoyed a modest lifestyle for the next few years as Perseus grew into a young man. At the same time, King Polydectes had taken a strong liking to Perseus's mother, Danaea. It was an unwanted and unreciprocated affection that enraged Perseus. Polydectes was intimidated by the demigod. Perseus was strong, brave, honorable. All things King Polydectes was not. One day, the king announced he had plans to marry a woman named Hippodamia, 
and he commanded all men of Seraphos to present a gift for his upcoming nuptials. Perseus, being only a young and humble fisherman, did not have horses or chariots or gold or jewels to offer the king. Perseus was pleased and relieved to hear the news of the king's marriage, believing this meant the king had moved on from the obsession with his mother. Perseus apologized for his humble means and told the king that he did not have a suitable gift and that he wished there was something he could do for the king, anything if it meant his mother would be free from the king's pursuit. He would go to the ends of the earth. He would bring back the head of the fearful Gorgon Medusa if it were in his power. Perseus was so overjoyed that his mother would be saved from the king's advances, he offered to do anything. The king was thrilled with Perseus's boastful and what was meant as a somewhat exaggerated offer to kill the Gorgon, and commanded Perseus to make good on his promise. You see, Polydectes never had any true intention of going through with his marriage to Hippodamia. It was all a ruse to get Perseus out of the picture. Perseus had a habit of bragging around town that he could kill Medusa, a feat that many brave heroes had attempted and failed tragically. Polydectes was looking for an opportunity to distance Perseus from his mother so that the king could force Danaea to marry him. As Perseus set out on his quest, to hunt the mighty Medusa, he was visited by Hermes, god of travel and the messenger of the gods, and Athena, goddess of war and wisdom. He was advised by the god and goddess to seek out the Grey, who were three sisters, known to be witches who shared one eye and one tooth. The Grey were said to know the location of where Perseus would find the Hesperides, nymphs of the evening and golden sunsets who tended Hera's garden and were keepers of sacred objects of the gods that could help assist Perseus in his quest. The helmet of Hades, which provides a cloak of invisibility to the wearer, the winged sandals of Hermes, which would provide the ability of flight and swiftness to the wearer, the shield of Athena, which would protect his eyes from Medusa's deadly stare, the magical sword of Zeus, and a special enchanted bag which he could use to transport and store the head of the deadly Gorgon. Perseus came upon the sister witches and fairly easily was able to sneak up on them and snatch the shared eye away. The witches demanded to know who was there and where was their eye. They shouted and cursed at Perseus to return it immediately. Perseus calmly replied that he was Perseus, demigod and son of Zeus, and he was embarking on a journey to slay the Gorgon Medusa. He told the Grey he would only return the eye after they shared with him where he could find the Hesperides. The witches reluctantly complied, and Perseus set off to find the nymphs. He would find the Hesperides among the golden apple trees in Hera's garden, and he told them of his quest. The nymphs then presented Perseus with the helmet of Hades, 
the winged sandals of Hermes, the shield of Athena, the sword of Zeus, and finally the enchanted bag which would safely carry the head of the dead Gorgon. The nymphs also told Perseus where he could find Medusa on a secret island on the edge of the earth. He donned his winged sandals and quickly flew off to find Medusa's lair. Perseus would arrive at the island on the end of the earth and was immediately unnerved. He found himself surrounded by lush, overgrown flora and shrubs. He was in a garden, but not a normal garden. It was also littered with stone figures, figures of men and warriors who had come before him. They were so lifelike. The detail was uncanny. It was as if they had been frozen in stone, some with their arms up in mid-swing of a sword or axe, some in a pose of self-defense, but all were once brave, strong men on the same quest as Perseus to slay the Gorgon Medusa. Perseus placed the helmet of Hades on his head so he could safely hide from Medusa with its powers of invincibility. He gripped his sword and shield tightly, and as he glanced at the inside of the shield, he became aware that it was so polished and shiny that it reflected the image of the stone statues behind him. He realized he could use the shield's reflection to protect himself from Medusa's steely gaze. Carefully and slowly, Perseus walked further toward the deserted remains of what appeared to be an old limestone temple as he crept, looking through the shield for any sign of Medusa. He could hear something moving and what sounded like hissing just ahead behind one of the massive limestone columns. As he approached, he saw a glimpse of the monstrous creature. He was taken back for a moment. The stories of the hideousness of Medusa did not serve as justice. She was far more grotesque and terrifying than he had imagined. The snakes that grew from her head slithered and hissed. Her mouth was stretched wide and she had tusks like that of a boar. Her fat, swollen tongue protruded from her face and her eyes were large, round, and black. Her belly was rounded, bloated, and swollen. Perseus took a deep breath and lunged towards the beast. Swinging his sword strong and true, he struck her neck, and the head of the gorgon was swiftly separated from her body. The blood began to pool, and from it sprung Pegasus, the winged horse, and the giant Chrysior. You see, Medusa was pregnant with Poseidon's offspring, and, as the legend goes, once she was beheaded, Pegasus and Chrysor were born. Careful to not look directly at her, as even in death, her stare was deadly. Perseus quickly scooped up the head into the enchanted bag he received from the nymphs and started his long journey back towards Seraphos. As Perseus was en route back to his mother on the island of Seraphos, flying over the African kingdom of Ethiopia, 
he came upon a strange sight. It was an amazingly beautiful young woman chained to the rocks on the seashore, an apparent sacrifice to the sea monster, Cretus. Her name was Andromeda, and she was the Ethiopian princess, daughter of King Cepheus and Queen Cassiopeia. Cassiopeia was a vain queen and had bragged of the beauty of her daughter, claiming she was even more beautiful than the sea nymphs, the Nereids, who had long been heralded as the most beautiful of all female creatures. The Nereids got word of the queen's boastful remarks, and they angrily brought it to the attention of Poseidon, the sea god. The Nereids demanded Poseidon seek retribution against the conceited queen, and the vengeful god agreed. He sent the monster of the sea, Cetus, to attack and cause great damage to the kingdom. In desperation for relief, King Cepheus prayed to Zeus for help, support, and guidance on how to appease the wrath of the sea god. Zeus told Cepheus it would require a great sacrifice, his daughter, Andromeda. Andromeda was taken to the edge of the rocky shore and left there as a tribute to Poseidon and to appease the Nereids. She was to be eaten by the great sea monster Cetus. Perseus happened upon this gruesome scene just in time. He flies on his winged sandals to the edge of the water where Andromeda stands, awaiting her sacrificial fate. He tries to free her, clanging his sword against the chains. But in that moment, Cetus attacks. Swiftly rising up from the sea, the surge of the waves nearly knock the bag with Medusa's head out of his grip. Perseus turns to attack Cetus, but when he lunges forward to take flight with his winged sandals, the sword raised and ready to strike the sea monster, but his sandals are too wet to support him, and he stumbles back onto the rocks. Perseus intended to fly above the monster and lance him with his magical sword, but he realizes without the winged sandals, he won't be able to get close enough to slay the monster with his sword. Perseus shouts at Andromeda to keep her eyes closed, no matter what, keep your eyes closed until I'm able to free you. Careful to keep the eyes turned away from him, Perseus removes Medusa's head from the enchanted bag, gripping the scaly dead serpents tightly. He holds the head as high and as far from himself as he could reach, pointing her deathly stare at the surf, waiting for the monster to emerge. The tide was wild, with high strong waves crashing against the rocks, and in that next moment, Cetus leapt from the water, ready to take his sacrificial victim. But as he did, the eyes of Medusa immediately petrified the monster, and heavily he crashed down into the waves. Just as quickly as he had appeared, he was gone, sinking into the vastness of the sea. Perseus asked for Andromeda's hand in marriage and the happy couple quickly wed in a small ceremony in the palace of King Cepheus before continuing on to Seraphos. Upon his return home, Perseus was told by dictes of the plot orchestrated by Polydectes, and that as soon as Perseus left, 
the harassment of his mother ensued, and it was far worse than before. Danaea had fled to the temple of Athena to seek refuge from Polydectes. Perseus was so infuriated, he grabbed the bag with the gorgon's head and went straight to the palace. Perseus stormed into the palace to find Polydectes and his friends enjoying a great feast. Perseus announces that he has fulfilled the challenge forced upon him. He has killed the gorgon and brought back her head as a gift. Reaching into the bag, he clutches the serpents atop the head of Medusa and raises his arm as high and as far as he can reach and lets the bag drop to the ground. Everyone sitting at the long table is petrified in stone. Perseus replaces the bag over the head of Medusa. He goes to the temple of Athena to find his mother and return the sacred objects of the gods that had helped him succeed in his quest. He and Andromeda then traveled to Argos. Perseus wanted to visit with his grandfather, King Acrisius, and tell him that he harbored no ill will and had no intention of fulfilling the terrible prophecy of killing his grandfather. But when they arrived in Argos, they found the king was not there. You see, Acrisius heard that Perseus was coming, and still fearing the prophecy, he fled town, not telling anyone where he was going or when he would return. So Perseus and Andromeda continued on their travels, hearing of funeral games being held in Larissa, they headed over to watch. Perseus enlisted in the discus event, and when it was his turn to throw, it took an unintended path and struck a nobleman in the head, killing him dead. They would later identify that nobleman as King Acrisius. Perseus had unintentionally fulfilled the prophecy after all. Perseus didn't feel right about going back to Argos to claim the throne after what he had done, so he went north, about 12 kilometers from Argos. He is said to have founded the ancient and legendary city of Mycenae. According to legend, Perseus employed a cyclops to build the great stone walls surrounding the city of Mycenae and the famous lion gate at the entrance to the city. It was said that no human could have possibly moved the enormous stones to form the wall. Mycenae is a real place, uninhabited today, but it still stands, and the remains of those walls and the original famed Lion Gate are still visited by thousands of tourists each year. There is also the tomb of the legendary king Agamemnon. For centuries, it was believed that Mycenae, Agamemnon, and Homer's entire epic of the Iliad and the depiction of the Trojan War were all completely fictional accounts, that none of these characters or places actually existed in real life. But in 1841, the remains of the famous Lion Gate of Mycenae was discovered by a Greek archaeologist. It wouldn't be until 35 years after this discovery that major excavations would take place under the supervision of an amateur German archaeologist, Heinrich Schleimann. 
five years prior to undertaking the archaeological dig at Mycenae, Schleiman had made a name for himself in the archaeological world with the discovery of the ancient city of Troy in present-day Turkey. Schleiman was a strong believer that the accounts of Homer's Iliad were based, at least in part, on fact, and that the places in his writings were real. So he quickly set his sights on Mycenae as soon as he was able. If you ever have the opportunity to visit Greece for yourself, I highly recommend you go. It's a truly magical place for anyone who has an obsession for history or mythology. It's a surreal experience to climb up the mountainside in Athens to the ancient Acropolis and to see the Parthenon and the temples of the ancient Greek deities. To climb another mountainside, to stand where the Oracle of Delphi once stood to deliver prophecies along the road leading to the gateway of the entrance, there is a small stone structure with a spout protruding from it. It's a simple design, no elaborate decoration or fancy facade. The water that comes from the spout is cold and clean, and it's a spring water that naturally flows down the mountainside. Our tour guide stopped for us and had us fill our water bottles there. I'm sure it was only in my head, but it seemed that that water was truly magical. I'm Autumn Rivas, and I thank you for joining me in a darkly lit place. I invite you to please take a moment to check out the website, adarklylitplace.com, for more information, along with a photo gallery. A Darkly Lit Place is also on Twitter and Instagram, both with the handle at a darkly lit place. Please click follow and say hello, and I will look forward to meeting you back here in two weeks. Thank you for listening.